0: Hi, welcome to episode six of the Health Investment Podcast. When I say my mind was blown during this conversation with Dr. Ariana Ibrahimian, I'm not exaggerating. As someone who takes her oral hygiene very seriously, I honestly thought I knew most everything there was to know about proper dental care. I mean, I've been seeing a dentist twice a year for most of the 35 years of my life, and I'm always quite inquisitive at my appointments what more could I possibly learn? Turns out everything. I think I learned more in this 35 minute conversation with Dr. Ariana than I have in my 35 years of regular dental visits. Seriously. In her practice, Dr. Ariana's goal for patients is always to provide them with a beautiful smile that not only complements their face, but also ensures their smile is healthy and functions properly. Patients often spend a significant amount of time and energy searching for solutions to their dental problems, only to be misdiagnosed or go untreated. Dr. Ariana finds it rewarding to offer patients real solutions that can change their lives. Dr. Ariana received a Bachelor of Arts degree in philosophy from Boston College, but following in her father's footsteps, she went on to pursue a degree in Doctor of Dental Surgery which she completed at the University of the Pacific, Arthur A. Dugoni School of Dentistry, a nationally renowned institution of higher learning. She also calls herself an integrative dentist, which we'll discuss at length in the episode, and you'll learn the difference between integrative dentistry and traditional dentistry. You can find links to Dr. Ariana's practice, as well as all of the resources we mentioned in the episode, in the show notes. Buckle your seatbelt because we're going to talk about everything from sleep apnea to snoring to the best dental floss to seltzer water. Is it true that the bubbles are bad for your teeth? You're going to find out. Don't forget to share this episode with your oral hygiene obsessed friends and family. You know who I'm talking about. Enjoy the episode. Hi, I'm Brooke Simonson, certified nutrition coach and host of the Health Investment Podcast. Here's the thing, you deserve to feel amazing. But here's the other thing, there are so many confusing messages out there. Week after week, I'm gonna share tips and practices that actually work for simple weight loss and sustainable wellness, because I wanna help you get healthy for good, without any BS. When I'm not podcasting, I work with clients one-on-one. So visit the show notes to book your free consultation. And don't forget to leave a review so that others can become trim, energized, confident, BS-busting rock stars like you. Thanks for tuning in. Enjoy the episode. Hi, Ariana. Thank you so much for being here today. I know everyone's super excited to hear from an integrative dentist. On your site, it says that oral health is a key component to a person's overall systemic health. And I found that really interesting because I think a lot of us, at least here in the United States, are used to considering the body as different parts from sort of the Western medicine perspective and seeing specialists for each separate part of our body. I was wondering if you could elaborate on how oral health can influence a person's overall health.
1: That is a great question, Brooke. First of all, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to have this discussion with you today. Um, Yeah, so... How can your oral health influence your overall health? Well, you you kind of hit the nail on the head when you said that people have a tendency to isolate different systems in the body. And they have really taken the mouth and isolated it by making dentistry its own profession, um, kind of outside of medicine. And people often forget that the mouth is in fact connected to the rest of the body. So it can influence your overall health in a number of ways. Um, but I think one of the biggest ways it can influence your overall health and certainly a hot button topic today is that your oral health can be a real source of inflammation in the body, um, overall inflammation in the body. And if you've done any reading about chronic diseases, they're really reframing a lot of the way we think about chronic diseases, cardiovascular disease, Alzheimer's, cancer, and they're really looking at this now as result of inflammation throughout the body in different areas and so a lot of the bacteria that live in the mouth um, they do travel and they travel throughout the body and can cause inflammation not only in the mouth which you would see in the form of for example bleeding puffy gums um, but that same bacteria can settle in the arteries and cause inflammation and lead to heart attack it can settle in the brain and cause inflammation and lead to Alzheimer's disease. That's actually some of the newest research. So it is absolutely very well connected and super important that people are paying attention to what's going on in their mouth.
0: Wow. That's really, that's fascinating. That's, I never thought really about the the bacteria and the plaque in your mouth is really traveling to other systems. That's very interesting. Um yeah, so you call yourself an integrative dentist. So I'm guessing it has something to do with the response you just gave, but can you elaborate a little bit more on how integrative dentistry is different from traditional dentistry?
1: Sure. So integrative dentistry, I will start by saying it's it's not a recognized specialty within dentistry. You don't go to a specialty program to be an integrative dentist. It's it's actually a term I we coined because there really wasn't a way to describe the way we were approaching dentistry that really links what's going on with the mouth, oral health, orthodontics, airway, um, and how that's affecting the rest of the body. So we wanted a way to let people know that when you come to our office, this your experience in our office is going to be a lot different than it might be in a traditional dental office where they're really just focused on the mouth. We really kind of pan out and look at, take a more holistic approach and how is this affecting the rest of the body? So I mean it starts with something actually as simple, as simple as our medical history when you when you come to our office and we have our patients fill out their medical history forms it's like a 15 page document and we're taking all sorts of information not just about their oral health but really about their overall health because you can learn a lot about how the mouth is interacting with the rest of the body when you really when you really pan out and 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 ask the questions and listen.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. I've never answered a questionnaire, you know, that in depth before going to a dentist. So that's something really cool to think about if, you know, people wanted to find an integrative dentist, um, just that that person would know a lot about more of their overall health than just the mouth itself. So that's really cool. So obviously then you pursued just traditional dentistry at first for your degree, but then what made you decide to kind of branch out into this different segment?
1: Um, well, that actually was it was a very particular moment. So yes, I went to dental school. Um, I graduated and I joined my father in practice. And I had every intention of um, kind of continuing on the road that he was on, which was really more comprehensive dentistry, um, a lot of kind of aesthetic cosmetic dentistry. And then he started to incorporate, as I got closer to graduation, he started doing a lot more Work with temporomandibular joint disorder or TMD, um, and so he was seeing a lot of more pain patients, and I found that really interesting. So when I graduated, I thought, well, you know, I'll do I'll do some cosmetic dentistry, I'll do some TMD, and I think I graduated in June. And through a series of events uh, in September, my dad said, you know, there's this course that I've been invited to take, and I I he the person who's putting the course on really recommended that you come with me and it's being offered by an orthodontist. And I said, orthodontics, I'm, I just graduated dental school. I you know, I have no desire to do orthodontics. He's like, and it's about orthodontics for kids. And I was like, well, now you really have yeah. lost me because not only do I want, not want to do orthodontics, I don't really want to be treating children yeah, either. And he said, no, I'm telling you, he said, it's really important. I said, okay. So we headed down to the Los Angeles area um, to Dr. Bill Hang's office. He's an orthodontist and we sat, we, after my mom came with us, she manages our practice and we were sitting in this first session, it was a four part course over the, over the series, of four part series over the course of a year rather. And we were sitting in this course and he started talking about the relationship between where the jaws are in relation to the rest of the face and how your profile and where your jaws are placed affect the size of your airway and how the size of your airway impacts whether or not you may have snoring and sleep apnea and taking it one step further, how detrimental sleep apnea, really deadly sleep apnea can be to your life. And it really just kind of was a paradigm shift. It was a total paradigm shift for us. We had never heard this information before. We had never really considered it. And as we were sitting there and he was describing all the signs and symptoms of sleep apnea and kind of the facial profile that might go along with that, my mom and dad and I, we all turned to each other and we said, oh my gosh, he's describing my younger sister. And so we took that information home and we talked to my sister, Elena, about it and encouraged her to get tested. So she did. She had a sleep study. And here at the age of 20, this super fit cross-country champion um, young woman comes back with a positive diagnosis for sleep apnea. And knowing what we now knew, which is that sleep apnea is incredibly taxing to your cardiovascular system. It dramatically increases your risk for heart attack and stroke. It can shorten your lifespan by up to 20%. Um, Elena was faced with the decision. It was like, well, do you want to just manage this for the rest of your life and wear CPAP or an oral appliance, or do you want to cure it? And ultimately, Elena made the decision to cure it, and she had double jaw surgery to reverse a lot of the orthodontic treatment that had been done for her uh, in her teenage years that we really believe contributed to this sleep apnea problem. So it really hit home in a really personal way, having my own sister go through this. Um, Elena is now a thriving dentist herself. Um, oh, wow. and so yeah, cool. yeah. And practices with the same philosophy and looking at the same kinds of things that we do. Um, but that's really what led us, led us on this journey because it, it really actually ended up kind of lighting a fire in me to, to help children avoid these problems later in life. Like what are, what can we do for young children that will help them grow in a way where we don't have to be having a discussion when they're 20 years old, 30, 50 years old about the fact that they have jaws that are too far back in their face and not enough room for their tongue and they're snoring and they've got heart problems and all these issues. How can we be ahead of the game and more proactive? So that's what led me down this road. And 12 years later, I have never looked back.
0: It is crazy how. You know, different events in life can totally change the course. But I mean, not cool that she had to go through all of that, but that's really great that you guys are able to help her out. And now that you're all helping other people solve that same issue.
1: Yes. Yeah. We feel very blessed to be in that position.
0: So I had a question I was going to ask later on from um, one of my Instagram followers, actually, but someone had asked about snoring and sleep apnea. And I think that fits in well now. What would you advise? You know, if somebody just heard that story and they think, oh i snore or my partner snores or i know i have sleep apnea i mean what should people start doing today you know who should they see what can they do well
1: the first thing i would recommend is that um you take it seriously because i think in our culture we have a tendency to laugh about snoring or be embarrassed about it or Especially when it comes to children, people I've actually heard people say, oh, isn't that so cute? My child snores. And the first thing I would tell you is that it's actually really scary that your child snores. It is affecting their brain development and their growth hormone secretion, and there is no cell in your body that is spared from the effects of sleep apnea. So um, take it seriously and get tested. So really, the the first thing to do is get tested. Not all snoring is sleep apnea and you can have sleep apnea and not really have loud audible snoring. Um, So you would get tested by having a referral to a sleep center and your dentist can write you that referral, your primary care physician can write you that referral. And then once you have a diagnosis in hand, depending on what that diagnosis is, then I would encourage people really to seek treatment. And so that can take a lot of different forms depending on who you are, how old you are, what your needs are, um, what kind of your ultimate goals are. You can do something, as I referenced earlier, manage your sleep apnea with CPAP machine. Have you heard of CPAP? Do you know what that is? I have
0: heard of that, yeah. Okay,
1: so for the people who are listening who might not know what that is, it's a machine that sits on your nightstand and it has a mask attached to it and you wear a mask at night and it blows air down into your airway to kind of splint the airway open and allow you to breathe at night. Um, So that's one option. Another option is an oral appliance. And so you would see a sleep dentist for that, somebody who's doing, who's, who has experience with that. And that's basically a mouthpiece that you wear at night that holds the lower jaw forward. So when you hold the lower jaw forward, it pulls the tongue out of the back of the throat and opens up your airway that way. Um, If you're a child that's been diagnosed with sleep apnea, then really getting involved as soon as possible with orthopedic development of the jaws. So whether that be expansion or what I do, something called orthotropics, which is really facial growth guidance for young children, guiding the jaws in a forward direction, anything you can do to create more space in there for your tongue to rest comfortably and get those jaws forward is really helpful. Um, And then, like I said, my sister had double jaw surgery to kind of cure it, not have to go back then revisit that. That's not the right option for everybody, but it certainly is an option. So yeah, just start start with by taking it seriously and getting diagnosed.
0: Yeah. Um, so you mentioned orthotropics. Do most orthodontists and dentists, do most of them know how to do that type of work on the jaw or do you have to seek out a specialist?
1: I wish. Um, actually, very, very few of us. I am currently the president of our North American Association of orthotropics and we are we are a small group we are actually um, we actually do have an international group so we are a small group um, we are few and far between and actually it's mostly general dentists that are doing this kind of work huh. the orthodontic community at large hasn't really gotten hip yet to the connection between airway and the work that they are doing and one of my wishes and hopes for the future is that I really see the orthodontic community embrace this this knowledge and this this concept that it's really all connected and that they are absolutely impacting that, they really have the ability to impact it positively if they if they know what to look for. So um, yeah, you really have to kind of seek that out.
0: Yeah, definitely. So I mean, possibly, you know, like a Google search in your area, or, you know, you're going to share your contact info at the end of the podcast. So get I guess somebody could reach out to you. But I mean, yeah, I'm sure that some people are going to hear this and really want to find out where they can find an expert, you know. Yes. But and unfortunately, it seems like they're few and far between, but I'm gl- I'm glad some exist at least.
1: Yes, absolutely. And we, and like I said, we are all over the country and and all of us are usually good resources cuz most of us know most of everybody else is doing it. So. Right. Yeah, no that's great. <laughs> yeah. So then
0: I know, you know, in just common speak, everybody talks about breathing strips and extra pillows or whatever. I mean, so it sounds like if you have a snoring problem, using those band aid approaches is probably not the best option. It's best to get tested for sleep apnea. Are you suggesting, or do those things still have any validity at all?
1: You know that I'm so glad you brought that up, and I'm so glad you used the word band aid <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> because oftentimes it really is a band aid. Right. Um, that's not to say though that they don't that they aren't useful and that they don't have a place. Um, you know, some people have what's called positional sleep apnea. So, for example, they only have sleep apnea when they're on their back. You wouldn't know that unless you got tested again. Um, but in those in those situations, keeping people off their back is really important. So, you know. I, elevating the head. I've actually heard of people putting like binder clips on their pajamas, like in the back so that when they roll into the back, it's really uncomfortable. And so it keeps them on their side. Oh, wow. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I know. Uh, Create a
0: torturous sleeping environment.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All sorts of creative ideas, but um, yeah, breathe right nasal strips to get more air through your nose. These are all, they're all important, but I would just say that they're all kind of part of a, a larger treatment picture. And so you really have to know what you're dealing with before you just think that oh, you know, breathe right nasal strips are going to fix my severe sleep apnea.
0: No, probably not. (laughs) Right. In the same way that people think, you know, oh, antacids will fix my heartburn forever. Right. It's more like, what's the root source of that? What's really going on? Not to just use that forever, again, as a band-aid to just kind of mask symptoms. Exactly. So I think I may already know part of your answer because you touched on this, but what do you wish traditional dentistry did better?
1: Well, there are a few things i wish traditional dentistry did better um one of one of them is understand the relationship like as you i'm sure have guessed understand the relationship between the airway um, and and the jaws and how what we do in dentistry can absolutely impact that for the better or for the worse um i wish that we were no longer placing silver amalgams in the mouth Mm -hmm. anymore silver amalgam fillings um Mm -hmm. because they they're not great for the tooth structure in the long run. They really do put a tremendous amount of stress on the tooth and you risk fracture. And yes, they do contain mercury. Um, so I wish that was not uh, happening anymore. And I, and I also wish that they took the concept of bleeding in the mouth more seriously. Um, mm. Because I think, I think both lay people culturally kind of in our society and to a certain extent in dentistry, we've, We've gotten pretty lazy about accepting a certain amount of inflammation in the mouth. And based on what we know now with how I said that's affecting the heart and the brain, it's really not acceptable anymore to have, to just watch this inflammation fester in the mouth without being really proactive about helping patients eliminate that. Um, Because it really is affecting the whole body.
0: Right. So is bleeding in the mouth a clear sign of anything else happening in your body?
1: Uh, yeah, absolutely. Bleeding bleeding in the mouth means that there's localized inflammation in the mouth and the bacteria that's causing that inflammation is, is absolutely traveling throughout your body and causing inflammation elsewhere. So
0: um,
1: for people who are into checking their blood panels, for example, if you run a blood panel and you see a high C-reactive protein, which is an inflammatory marker in the blood, if you have bleeding in the mouth, that can raise your C-reactive protein. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, it's all connected. You don't want bleeding in your mouth. It, it's funny. You know, we, we joke, it's like if any other part of your body was constantly bleeding every time you touched it, you'd be freaked out. <laughs> you'd go to the right. doctor, right? If you touched your leg and every time you touched your knee your your knee bled, right. You would go to a doctor and be really concerned about that. But for some reason, there's this disconnect about when it happens in the mouth.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I remember going to the doctor or the dentist, sorry, when I was a kid and you know, maybe not flossing as much as I should, but having some bleeding when they would floss at the end and my dentist would just say, Oh, it's fine, a little bleeding isn't that big of a deal. Right. Like I've been told that multiple times. So that's really interesting to learn now that, you know, that's not normal. But I, I think, think we most of us have been taught that it is. Right. And and you know, Brooke, I think part of that
1: also is that dentistry hasn't had historically hasn't had a really great approach to fixing it, we've really put the onus on the patient. And yes, the onus really is on yourself to improve your oral care. But um, we haven't, you know, only recently, I think, have we, or more recently, have we had the ability to really eliminate the bleeding altogether. And so, for example, like in our office, what that looks like is we actually culture the bacteria in the mouth, just Mm -hmm. like if you had strep throat and you would go in and cultured the bacteria in the back of the throat to make sure yes it's strep and then you would treat it appropriately Um, we do the same thing in the mouth so we culture the bacteria to find out what somebody might be dealing with and sometimes you get these reports back and the bacteria levels are so high that we actually have to treat it the way you would any other bacterial infection with with oral systemic antibiotics if indicated not always but sometimes it can be that severe so you really kind of treating it like a like a Stomach infection because it because it is ultimately
0: right. So does does bleeding from flossing or you know just any bleeding in the mouth? I've always kind of connected that with flossing, but is mm-hmm. it more connected to bacteria or does flossing still have something to do with that as well?
1: Um, so flossing helps remove the bacteria. Oh, or I see. Just, yeah, disrupt the biofilm that that bacteria is adhering to. So okay, got it. So Flossing should help eliminate the bleeding, and it also is. May be interesting to your listeners to know that this is contagious. Oh. So, yes. So, if you're (laughs) dealing with bleeding in your mouth and you think it's not a big deal, you might want to ask whomever you're kissing or sharing food with or your children if they're okay with having that bacteria in their mouth because they're absolutely dealing with that. It's pretty, oh, wow. Yeah. It's pretty common (laughs) to see familial infection when we see bleeding in one person's mouth and then we test the rest of the family. It, it runs across the board like that.
0: Oh, yeah, that's very good to know. <laughs> I'm sure everybody's going to be extremely enlightened about that. And now everybody's going to, you know, be checking everyone else's mouths yep. to be sure yeah. there's no bleeding. Um, so you mentioned silver amalgams. And that was actually another question that somebody ha- on Instagram had. What I know, I've heard about this, and you know, I've read about it, that possibly people who have silver amalgams from childhood should get them removed. Mm-hmm. So do you think that's a smart idea?
1: Um, I do with a caveat that it's smart to get them removed safely. Okay. So what that means is following a protocol where you're using rubber dam isolation and high-speed evacuation and just a number of measures put into place to make sure that as you're taking the silver amalgam out, your exposure to those heavy metals and that mercury is as minimal as possible. Um, You might even want to consider working with um, somebody who knows about metal detox in the body. If you're getting a number of fillings removed, um, either spacing that out or as you're doing it, making sure that maybe you're doing some heavy metal chelation because that mercury is actually constantly leaching from the fillings over the life of the filling. It's leaching into the mouth and mercury vapor is. And then when you actually go to cut that filling out, when a dentist removes the filling, you're kind of liberating all that even more. So important to do it safely, a good idea to do it preventatively before the tooth breaks around it. Um, But just to be mindful about how you're doing it.
0: Yeah, for sure. So I'm, I've also read and heard that it's an expensive process. I'm imagining also if you find, you know, like a specialist who's able to do it so safely. So what if somebody can't afford to have them removed? Like, is there anything you would recommend? Is there any way to kind of mitigate the harms of the mercury fillings or are they like, you pretty much have to get them removed?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, I think ultimately at the end of the day, it's just not practical to be not, you know, The less you grind on a a mercury filling, the better, or, you know, the less you're exposing it to extreme temperatures, the better. But that's not practical. That's not how we live our life, right? I mean, we're eating the foods we want, and we're drinking hot beverages. And so really, if if finances are an obstacle to getting these removed, I would say just start small. I mean, one at a time. Um, And then there are all sorts of great financing options available in dentistry today. Um, So, yeah.
0: Yeah, no, that's really good to know. So we talked about maybe what you wish traditional dentists would do better, but what do you think are still the biggest myths that we as just regular old people have about our oral hygiene besides the bleeding? Is there any other myths you think we're still believing?
1: Um, yeah, actually kind of related to that is that um, there is kind of a myth out there that brushing and flossing alone is is enough to combat decay. Um, And, you know, for years, people have been told, oh, you have a cavity, you need to brush and floss better. I mean, that's certainly part of it. Removing bacteria and plaque in the mouth is a huge part of keeping your gums and your teeth healthy. But there are a number of other things that go into the decay process in the mouth. And that involves, for example, one of the biggest ones is the pH balance of your mouth. So anything you can do to create a more basic environment in the mouth is gonna be protective against forming decay. So for example, sucking on sodas all day creates a very acidic environment in the mouth and that's horrible for your teeth. Um, They're they're very acidic, sodas are very acidic and then couple that with the sugar content can be really, really detrimental. So um, also having dry mouth, that's a big problem for patients today because a lot of people are on multiple medications where the side effects are dry mouth and saliva is protective against decay. So when you have dry mouth, you're going to be in an increased risk for for having cavities. Um, so when we we really now are actually looking at decay as a disease process as well, kind of reframing the way we look at that. It's it's not always enough to just tell somebody to brush and floss. And in fact, it can be really frustrating for people who really have excellent oral hygiene and continually come in with more and more decay problems, and they're feeling like, what is happening? I'm doing everything you're telling me to do, and you're still telling me I have cavities. So there's more that goes into that. And when you look at it as this disease process where there's a pH factor and what kind of foods are you eating? And yeah, are you cleaning the teeth? You can be more successful in preventing that down the road.
0: So just hearing you talk about that with the soda, um, is it the carbonation also that causes the acidity? Like, is that a problem with seltzer water that we should be worried about? It is. It
1: is, unfortunately. Um, I, I don't know about, I can't speak to Water made in a Soda Stream, like homemade seltzer water, but like LaCroix, for example, tests quite acidic on the on a pH strip. Oh, so um, <laughs> I know, That's I know people don't like yet. to hear that. No, I know there really is nothing better for your teeth than water.
0: Right, <laughs> the okay. end of the day,
1: it's really the best thing you could be drinking, and for your
0: whole body. Is water with lemon or citrus? I mean, is that too acidic, or is that okay? Do you? Think? I would not be
1: like I would not have slices of water slices of lemon in your water all day long. An occasional glass of lemon water is probably okay, but yeah, lemons are highly acidic and actually can etch the enamel the way you would etch glass Couldn't cause these little micro porosities in the enamel. Lemon can do that over time. So Uh, yeah, whatever you can do to keep the most basic thing possible.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's just like with anything, right? Probably going to any extreme, like you don't want to have lemon all day long Right, I know it can have some benefits sometimes for digestive health or other things. So you think once in a while, do you think seltzer water once in a while is okay? Or do you just avoid it completely? So like one a day? Yeah, one a day. I don't drink it that much. But like, for example, I start my
1: mornings with, once I break my fast, I like to have a glass of warm lemon water. And I have one glass of warm lemon water every day and my teeth are fine. I don't then, and then throughout the day, I'm drinking my, you know, my big, the hydro flasks
0: of water, I don't lemon, I don't put lemon in that. Okay, well that's good to know. Real quick, I want to take a break from the episode to share one of my favorite resources with you. One of the BS messages floating around out there is that eating healthy costs too much. Honestly, I used to believe this myself. That is, until I discovered ThriveMarket.com. Thrive Market is an online grocery platform that's essentially Costco meets Trader Joe's meets whole foods. I love that I can shop on their mobile app and have all of my favorite groceries, everything from natural wine to 100% grass-fed beef to nutritious crackers, everything delivered right to my door. Last year, I saved over $1,000 shopping on Thrive. I honestly can't think of one reason not to love it. To save a percentage off your first order and see my full shopping list, click through the links in the show notes. Now, back to the episode. I know there's sometimes a debate about whether or not to drink fluorinated water and to use toothpaste with fluoride in it. I mean, where do you stand on that? Should I was told recently by a dentist that I should have a toothpaste with fluoride in it when I hadn't had one, but I have a water purifier that removes fluoride. So it like is it is that a good thing like not to drink it all day long but to use it on your teeth? Like where do you stand on that debate?
1: You know i'm actually i'm glad you asked that question because i think it's a common question and i think it's a pretty hotly debated one yeah um within dentistry and so here's my personal feeling on it this is not the opinion shared by the american dental association by any stretch of the imagination but my personal feeling on it is that topical fluoride i think has a place in oral hygiene fluoride ions. infuse into the tooth and actually be very protective against decay forming so especially for my decay prone patients and decay prone means you've had at least one filling in your mouth you've had at least one cavity you are now decay prone um i do think topical fluoride has a place so whether that be a fluoride toothpaste uh preferably actually a fluoride rinse and it does work by stain on the tooth so when you use these fluoride mouthwashes you don't rinse with water afterwards it's the last thing you spit out of your mouth and you go at least 30 minutes before you have any other sort of water Um, or whether that be a topical fluoride varnish in the dental office during your appointment Um, i do think those have a place and there is good research to show that they absolutely can help prevent cavities okay ingesting fluoride is a different thing i do not prescribe fluoride tablets I have reverse osmosis water myself. I don't recommend that people ingest fluoride. I know obviously you're ingesting a tiny little bit of it if you're using it topically in your mouth, but to me that's different than drinking fluoridated water. I do wanna say again, that's my personal opinion. I know there are plenty of dentists out there that would disagree with me. And I know there are huge um, political movements to get fluoridated water in communities because when you look at these epidemiological studies, they do, it does reduce the decay rate pretty significantly in communities where they're fluoridating the water. And that's because you don't have great home care in some of these communities. And so when you're fluoridating the water, you're getting some sort of protective effect.
0: Right. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. No, I I actually uh, went to an integrative dentist in New York when I was living there the last few months. And then I recently moved to Oakland and I've been seeing one here. I've only seen the person once, but it was interesting because both dentists had different viewpoints on it. Both agreed with you about not drinking fluoride. So I got um, a water purifier that filters it out, but- the one in New York said not to use fluoride on my teeth, and then I actually developed these little mini cavities. I don't know why. Uh-huh. Nothing changed in my diet, but when I came to this dentist in Oakland, they suggested getting a toothpaste with fluoride in it, and I don't know. I mean, I don't have the sensitivity anymore, so I don't know if it's helping. I haven't been back yet, but it's just interesting because I think that is you know, definitely still a contested topic among dentist, but I kind of not knowing any of the research at all or anything, felt safe using it just topically. And then, you know, I'm not swallowing the toothpaste. Um, So I feel like that's kind of a happy medium for me that I'm not drinking it all day long, but I'm using it to, for its purpose, you know, to actually protect my teeth. Well, the final question I would have for you then, I guess, is to have the most incredible oral health. I know I'm really into my oral health. And so much that you've said has been really enlightening. But what would you say are maybe the top three things I and all the listeners should be doing every single day? Just absolutes. Absolutes.
1: Well, let's start certainly with brushing and
0: flossing. Okay. Brushing twice a day,
1: flossing once a day. It's a habit that is a hard one to get into. But once you're in it, it doesn't take very long. And I always tell people this, like flossing takes no more than a minute really if once you get into the habit of doing that and you're having good oral health, it shouldn't take you a very long time to floss. Right. Um, my favorite brand of floss is cocoa floss. If you,
0: Oh, I just got that. Yeah.
1: It's fantastic. <laughs> um, Crystal Koo, who developed the country company, she started the company with her sister, was my classmate in dental school, and she they've done just such a great job with making flossing fun. Believe it or not, flossing can be fun.
0: Yeah. And so, it's also, I find it removes so much more from so my So much more. This dentist here in Oakland told me to get it, and she described it as like a loofah for your teeth. Yeah, that's a
1: great analogy. Uh, isn't it?
0: Yeah. So I was like, oh, I absolutely need to get that. But I just, yeah, I found that it removes so much more stuff that I couldn't get with those you know, thin, barely waxed flosses yes. in the past. I feel like I was doing nothing. Hence yes. probably also why I have these ca- these mini cavities between my teeth, but okay, cool. I'm glad yeah. to know I'm on the right track with that. Do you have a toothpaste that you use or recommend? So
1: I have recently started using a toothpaste called Biocidin. Okay. Um, Biocidin is made by, I'm sorry, it's called Dental Siden. It's okay. made by the BioCiden company And the company is actually, it's, they distribute internationally, but um, they're actually a local company here in Santa Cruz. And it was started over 20 years ago by um, an acupuncture, uh, Eastern medicine practitioner. And she has basically put together a botanical formula that is unbelievably effective at destroying biofilm. And so for those of you that don't know what biofilm is, it's (laughs) it's like this sticky, it's basically a film that coats the teeth. And the film is sticky, and that's what the, the plaque and the bacteria stick to. And so, like, for example, it's the stuff that's in water lines. If you've ever seen gunky water lines, oh, yeah, it, that's a biofilm. And biofilms can be some of the most difficult things to clean and to break up. Um, so this particular botanical formula destroys the biofilm. It, like, kills strep on contact. I mean, it's the whole company. I highly recommend you look it up, Biocidin. I think right now it's only available through practitioners, So I, but they are in the process as we speak of developing a direct-to-consumer toothpaste, which I think they're going to call Hygeia. And when that comes out, this stuff is great. It doesn't take much. It's all natural. Um, it doesn't have any of those SLS products in it. Um, it also does not have fluoride. So just so you know, but oh, okay. Interesting. That's, that's currently what's in my bathroom. Okay. I used to it in the past. You could even just use baking soda. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah.
0: Okay. Interesting. Um, yeah. And then I'll link that company so that people can be aware and also the cocoa floss in the show notes that are attached to every episode so that there'll be links to those aside from brushing and flossing. Are there any other things, a couple more things we should be doing every day?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, some people may have heard of this, but, um, Don't laugh at me when I tell you that I am one of many people that actually tape their lips at night.
0: Oh, Um, I have heard of this. Have you heard of lip taping? Yes, but I don't really know or understand why you do it. Okay.
1: So it's really, really important that we breathe through our nose all the time. Our nose was made for breathing. Our mouth was not. And the reason that's important is because our nose um, filters the air. Our mouth does not. Our nose warms and humidifies the air, and our mouth does not, and basically makes the air that we breathe in really ready and optimal for oxygen exchange once it gets into our lungs. And so, when we breathe through our mouth, we breathe too much air, dirty, unfiltered, not warm, cold, unhumidified. And when we breathe air in through our mouth, when that air hits our lungs, Our red blood cells cannot really use that oxygen the way they're supposed to. So because of that, nose breathing can be easier to control during the day. But when we fall asleep at night and your mouth falls open, you're asleep. You don't really have a way of controlling that. So for example, I have been a lifelong nose breather during the day and almost a lifelong mouth breather at night. And so about 10 years ago, I started um, lip taping. Now, don't go home and grab masking tape or scotch tape and put it <laughs> on your lips continue. at night. <laughs> no. Okay. We use, we use um, 3M Micropore. Paper tape. It's the one-inch paper tape that you'd find in the first aid section of the drugstore. Okay. Um, and so I particularly like the one that's made for sensitive skin. It's a, it's a blue color. I have it like on auto ship from Amazon. I'm never
0: without my tape. Okay. Um, well, that's good and, to know. It's on Amazon. <laughs> yes. I take about
1: I take a strip long enough to cover my lips, and at night I you don't want to have any chapstick on. You want just clean lips. Um, I fold over the edge of the tape. Like I rip off a piece of tape, fold over the edge. So I have something to grab onto, like a little tab to grab onto. And I purse my, I kind of put my lips together tightly and, and tape. So you're taping not lip to lip, but like the skin right above the lip and right below the lip, that's what you're taping, if that makes sense. So you kind of purse your lips together so that that's what's taping. Because if you just tape the actual lip itself, your saliva will sneak through there at night and it will get really wet and come off. So,
0: Oh, okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. So, okay. So you have, you use two pieces. I use one piece, oh.
1: but like when I put my lips together, like I really kind of almost kind of purse them, like really squeeze your lips together so that the part that you can, your lip is mm, kind of it got it, got sense. it. Yeah. And then, and then I tape and I credit taping with, first of all, the most restful sleep I've ever had in my life. Um, it really, once you start breathing through your nose, your parasympathetic system takes over and it has a really calming effect. It has that rest and repose, that kind of sleep. It really gets me ready for sleep. Um, it has, I think, kept me healthier over the last decade, for sure. I don't get sick with nearly the frequency that other people seem to get sick hmm. because my nose is actually filtering everything out. Um, and it's kept my gums healthier because mouth breathing inflames the gums and can cause bleeding and, and, and inflammation in the mouth. So, so it's kept my oral health better as well.
0: Okay. Well, that is fascinating. <laughs> this whole interview, I'm like, can I talk to you every day? Can you be my dentist? <laughs> I'll drive two hours to see you. Um, no, that's really cool. Um, anything else besides like probably obviously avoiding soda and now my beloved salts or water, but.
1: Yeah. Um, I like, um, yeah, soda's the big one. Sugar. I mean, I, have you watched? have you watched Bob Lustig's sugar, the bitter truth on YouTube. I don't think I
0: saw that one. Okay.
1: So he's a pediatric endocrinologist, um, over at UCSF, Robert Lustig MD. If you have the energy and the time and the, and the bandwidth to sit through what is a biochemistry lecture that he's giving to his medical class. So it can get a little, he can get a little off in the weeds as far as the science of it. But ultimately what I learned watching that 45 minute YouTube video was just how awful sugar is for our whole body, your mouth included. And actually he has, he has a book now written for the every, for everyday people, not, not medical students, for lay people. And I, I am forgetting the name of no, it. No, that's not, right you now, said it's but...
0: Lustig, right? Lustig, yeah, I've definitely heard of him. I'll look up the book and I'll link that in the show notes as well, but I know his work is incredible. And now that you mention it, I do think I've heard of the, the, is it a TED Talk sugar. he gives, or no? You said it's a lecture. It's not
1: YouTube, yeah, it's a yeah, lecture. Yeah, okay,
0: yeah. I've definitely heard of that, but I haven't watched it myself. But it sounds like, you know, if anybody out there is questioning still why to avoid sugar, <laughs> right. it sounds like that could be a really worthwhile forty-five minutes. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you being on here so much. I knew I was going to learn a lot, but I'm sure the listeners agree. I am just mind blown. My face the entire time was like, what? Just really, (laughs) really valuable information. So if people want to learn more about your practice and your philosophy, where can they find you?
1: Absolutely. So we are online at FunctionalSmiles.com, S-M-I-L-E-S. Um, we are on Instagram at Ibrahimian Integrative Dentistry, which is a mouthful. So it might be easier for you just to go to our website and then click on our Instagram link. And we're also on Facebook and Twitter. Um, and yeah, happy to um, field questions. We also have a virtual consultation um, link that if is not on our website. Oh, actually, by the time this airs, it will be on our website. So we have a oh, virtual cool. yeah we have a virtual consultation if you have. Um, questions about your smile or things like that we can we can do a quick little virtual consult complimentary
0: oh that's awesome yeah that's yeah. really great um yeah and i'll link all of your contact information in the show notes so people can find you there and again thank you so much Ariane. i really really appreciate everything you shared with us today you're so welcome brooke thanks again for having me well that's all for today before the next episode drops i'd love to chat with you one-on-one about the bs messages and methods currently holding you back You deserve simple weight loss and sustainable wellness. So let's figure out how to make both happen. To book your free consultation, click through the link in the show notes. Again, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Health Investment Podcast. See you next week. All content in this podcast was created for general informational purposes only by a non-physician. None of the content should serve as a substitute for professional medical advice, treatment, or diagnosis.